You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. some of the greatest challenges and struggles that we face in life are interestingly found in Psalm 23. And not only do we find the issues, the challenges, and the struggles there, but we also kind of find uh, God's response to those um, as well. Psalm 23 is probably one of the most uh, beloved Psalms of the Bible because in part it kind of shows us a little bit of what God is really like. Psalm 23 is kind of one of those places uh, of many places in Scripture where we're kind of given this, this picture, this revelation, this description of the character, the nature, and the attributes of God. And so my hope is, is as we kind of get through this series, looking at these various scriptures there in Psalm 23, that you'll kind of grow in kind of knowing and understanding more of what God is like and how much he really loves us. And just to allow him to become that shepherd over our lives that he desires to be. Because again, the more you know and understand God, the more you grow in intimacy in your relationship with him, the more you're going to trust him in all of your ways. Now, the first cause of stress that I want to look at this morning is the issue of worry. Now, every one of us in this room, we have worried at many points throughout our lives. As a matter of fact, there may be some of you here this morning, you are at a place of great worry in your life. And all of us, we kind of have our pet worries. It can be finances, jobs, relationships, marriage, kids, health. I mean, the list goes on and on. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus He's speaking to multitudes of people in his Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 25, he addresses the source of worry that was really kind of plaguing the crowd that he's speaking to. And there he said this. He said, for, the, for this reason, and, and he, he says for this reason, what, what kind of prefaces that is, he said, you cannot serve God and money. And so he says, for this reason, he said, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single moment or a single hour to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? 
This is for the Gentiles, unbelievers, is what he's saying there. Eagerly seek all of these same things. For your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. So he says, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Amen? So Jesus, he's kind of identifying there several sources of stress and worry that was obviously an issue in his day and time. Not much has changed between then and now, has it? I mean, aren't these some of the same things that, that cause stress, worry, and anxiety in our lives, in our culture today? We even now have kind of, you know, new terminology for this in our culture today. We call it food insecurity. And according to one website, in the United States alone, more than one out of five children live in a household with what they have identified as food insecurity, which means they don't always know exactly where their next meal is going to come from. Now, according to the United States Department of Agriculture, 16.7 million children under the age of 18 in the United States live in this condition of worrying about food. And again, this is just one item that I'm kind of highlighting here, food. But you know, we don't really, it's oftentimes we don't really kind of see beyond the walls of our own problems, whether those are our personal problems or problems, you know, uh, beyond our country. But oftentimes we, we kind of forget there, there are places in our world right now where people are literally starving to death. We've got places in Africa, in Ethiopia. I mean, you look at what's going on in Sri Lanka right now. I mean, there are people there that have every right to worry about these very things because their, their government, their countries are just suffering immeasurably. And oftentimes we kind of, we lose sight of that uh, inside of our own country. We lose sight of how blessed we really are if we would just step out of, uh, you know, th this world that, that we kind of live in, a very small world, and start to look at the bigger picture of what's happening in other places around us. And again, my point here is, is that the things that caused worry and stress and anxiety uh, among those in Jesus' day, they are the same exact things that caused worry and stress and anxiety uh, over 2,000 years later. And the good news and, and why I want to talk about this is because Jesus' solution then is his solution now. What worked then will work now, and it'll work into the future. Now, there are at least three problems that I want to kind of just highlight when it comes to worry. The first problem with worry is it's unhelpful because it never solves anything. It never accomplishes anything. Worrying never solves anything. Someone once said, worrying is stewing without doing. It's like racing your car engine. You, re you create a lot of smoke and a lot of noise, but you don't go anywhere. Worrying, it's never solved a problem. As a matter of fact, it creates more problems than it ever solves. 
Worry cannot change the past. It can't control the future, but it can ruin, it can destroy the present. Worry never robs tomorrow of its challenges. That's what Jesus said. Tomorrow, it'll have enough worries, enough challenges, enough problems of its own. Worrying never robs tomorrow of its challenge. It only saps today of its strength and potential. So it's unhelpful. Second thing with worry, the second problem with worry is it's unreasonable. It exaggerates your problems. It, it often just makes mountains out of molehills. Worrying just makes problems bigger and more complex than they really are. And instead of counting their blessings, many people were magnifying our problems. Now to worry about something you can't change is useless. To worry about something you can change is foolish. Change it. But either way, it isn't worth worrying about. So it's unhelpful, it is unreasonable, and the third problem with worry is it's unhealthy. Our bodies were not designed to worry. When you worry too much, it, it can begin to have some physical side effects. There are people that develop ulcers and, and backaches and headaches and insomnia, all because of the amount of worry that they're under. It's amazing. I saw this the other day. That Do you realize that in the United States, we are, our population is the most dependent on antidepressants than any other um, any other country in the world? America, the United States, where we are so blessed with so much, we are the most depressed people in the world. And again, our bodies, they were not designed, they were not created by God to worry. It's interesting, plants and animals, they don't worry. The only thing that worries in all of God's creation are people that are made in his image and his likeness. Researchers say that anxiety is often associated with intelligence. Now listen to this. What he's saying is people that are prone to worry, that tend to kind of worry more, that these are, tend to be people who are more intelligent than average. So some of you are sitting there, and some of you may not be worried not because you're so spiritually mature, but just because you're a dimwit. <laughs> You'll get that later. Either way, we were not created, we were not designed by God to worry. It makes us unhappy and it makes us unhealthy. Now, interestingly, the old English word for worry is the word to strangle or to choke. And that's what worry does. When you're worrying about stuff, it strangles. It just chokes the life and the potential of life out of you. Perpetual worry, it'll get you to one place ahead of time, and that's the cemetery. You weren't born worrying. Do you realize that? Babies don't come out of the womb worrying. You have to learn to worry, and you have to practice at worrying. 
Okay, some of you, uh, you know, uh, worry so much that you've gotten really, really good at it. And the good news is that if, we, uh, if worry is something we can learn, it is also something that we can unlearn. And that's really the point of Psalm 23. So what is God's answer? What is his response? What is his antidote to worry? First of all, we just got to believe that God will take care of us, that God will take care of me. And that's where David has this great revelation in Psalm 23, verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He personalizes that. The Lord is my shepherd. And as a result of that, out of that, he says, I shall not want, or I shall not be in need of anything. I have everything I need. Now he's saying, if I believe God knows my need and is committed to providing them, and if I know that he's going to take care of me, David would say, then I have nothing to worry about. So how does making God my shepherd an answer to our worries? Well, first, you've got to know what shepherds do. David, who wrote Psalm 23, he was a shepherd. He was the son of a shepherd. And so David knows a thing or two about tending to and caring for and watching over sheep on a day-to-day -day basis. It's what he did all day, every day. And David was well aware of what was required of him as a shepherd in order to take care of sheep. And the first thing is a shepherd provides. A shepherd would not be a good shepherd unless he's leading the flock to places like food and water, the basic necessities of sheep. So a shepherd provides. Second is a shepherd protects. He protects them from their enemies. God protects us from our enemies. He keeps us from harm. Third is a shepherd guides. He leads the sheep wherever they need to go. When they're lost, when they're confused, when they're dazed, they just look at the shepherd and he knows where to take them. And the fourth thing is a shepherd corrects. We don't, we don't like that part, but it's an important part because it's one of the ways that God demonstrates and reveals his love to us is when he disciplines us. And so a shepherd oftentimes has to correct and the amazing thing is, is that God has promised. He has covenanted. That is an important word. He has covenanted with us to do these same four things in our life. If we'll just trust him, if we'll just make him the shepherd of our lives. He says, I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll guide you. I'll correct you. I'll discipline you. And I'll bring correction to the problems in your life. If you'll just allow me, let me be your shepherd. Isaiah 40 verse 11 says, God takes care of his people like a shepherd. God often kind of pictures himself in that role as a shepherd. It even gets more specific in Philippians 4:19. My God will meet all your needs according to his riches, his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. This doesn't say God's going to meet all of your greed. There's a difference between wants and needs. If God provided for our every want, we would be some of the most spoiled, self-centered brats in all of the universe. 
So God's not going to give you everything you want, but he will give you everything that you need. God's saying, I will meet all of your needs through my glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now God says, I will. I will. Again, it's a covenanted word. I will. It's not I might, I'll try, maybe, possibly. Check back with me next week. He says, I will today, now, here in this moment, I am committed to meeting your need. And when God makes a statement like that, it means he's putting his character, his reputation on the line. When God says, I will, he says, I am willing. I am committed to doing these things. He's saying, you don't have to convince me. You don't have to talk me into it. You don't have to twist my arm. I'm all in. God says, I will meet all your needs. Now, what does all include? Doctor bills, mortgage payments, car repairs, food, utilities, spiritual needs, financial needs, health needs, recreational needs. Yes, everything. All means all. If God has promised to provide all of your needs to protect you, to guide you when you're confused, to correct the problems in your life, what else does that leave to be worried about? Nothing. See, when you have an insurance policy, once you know what's covered in that insurance policy, you, know, you don't worry about it anymore, right? I mean, I've got car insurance. I don't get in my car every time worried that I'm going to have an accident. Now, I've seen the way some of you drive, and you should be worried every time you get in your car. But because I've got an insurance policy, it says in the event that something happens, whether that's my fault or somebody else's fault or both of our faults, I have a policy that says, don't worry, we'll cover you. And in the Bible, there are hundreds of promises, promises of what God is committed, what he has covenanted to do in providing. And those promises, they're, they're better than any insurance coverage you ever have. When you understand them, when you kind of just apply them to your life, when you just begin to walk in them, and you just kind of begin to acknowledge them, what is left to worry about? Second Peter 1, beginning in verse 2, says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Man, that, the God, is, God is here this morning and he's committed to multiplying grace and peace to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of, the, one of the ways that he wants to multiply knowledge to you is through his promises, through his covenant to you. And he says that seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything. Now, what does everything mean? Everything. Yeah, it, it, it means the same thing in the Greek as it does in the English. Everything is everything. He says, has granted to us. Now, that's past tense. It's not something that's coming. It's not something in the future. It's here. It's now. It's present 
seeing that his divine power has granted to you everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, you think about this, life and godliness. What else is there? There's nothing else beyond life and godliness. He says, I've, I've, I've provided all that pertain to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So how do I make God my shepherd? Well, God is not the shepherd of everybody. Okay, he's only the shepherd of those who allow him to be the shepherd. So how do I make the Lord my shepherd? Very, very simple, by making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord cannot be your shepherd until Jesus is your Savior and Lord. The two go together. As a matter of fact, oftentimes Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, the great shepherd. You can't ask him to be shepherd without allowing him to be your Savior and Lord. And Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd in John 10, verse 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. And he says, one of the ways that the good shepherd manifests his life is, he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, he's referring to believers there, people who have made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. He refers to us as sheep. And he says, I've laid my life down for you. Again, that's a demonstration of his great love for you. No greater love than this that a man would lay down his life for his friends. So he says, I've laid my life down for you. This, this is a declaration of my great love for you. If you ever question the love of God, and again, this is, that, this is that knowledge that God wants to multiply, is that you'll come back to this verse. Man, he laid his life down for me on the cross as a demonstration of his great love for me. When we make Jesus Lord of our lives, we are also making him the shepherd of our lives. Now, again, what does it mean to be Lord? We, we, you know, hear that word or we use that word, and oftentimes we really don't know the fullness or really what it represents. It means to be in control. Lord simply means whoever is in charge, whoever is calling the shots. Something that we may call them kind of the boss, you know, the CEO, the manager, the chairman of the board, but Lord ultimately means under control. The person who is on top, calling the shots, in control. So there comes the question, is God the CEO? Is he the boss? Is he the manager? Is he calling the shots in your life? Or are you? If he's not calling the shots, if he's not in control, then he's not Lord. And if he's not Lord, he's not shepherd because the psalmist clearly states that the Lord is my shepherd. Now, to accept Jesus as Lord, it really basically kind of means three things. And Jesus says in John 14, 27, Jesus said, again, I am the good shepherd. Now get this, my sheep know me, they hear my voice, and they follow me. One, they know me. Two, they hear me. Three, they follow me. That's what it means 
for Jesus to be Lord. These three words are what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And when Jesus is the Lord of your life, he is also your shepherd. Now, let me just kind of ask you this question. When Jesus says, my sheep know me, my sheep hear my voice, my sheep follow me. Do all the sheep know Jesus or just some of the sheep? Do all the sheep know Jesus or, or just the really mature ones? All of us, right? If you're a sheep of Jesus, you know him. All sheep know him. I, I don't care if, if you're a, a, a brand new sheep or you're a really mature sheep. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you know him. It, it, it speaks to all sheep. Good, you got that one. <laughs> Do all the sheep follow him or, or just special ones, just unique sheep? The really spiritual sheep. Do all sheep follow him? Yeah, all sheep follow him. So, so Jesus says, so, so I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know me, all of them. They follow me, all of them. Does it stand to reason then if all the sheep know him and all the sheep follow him, does it stand to reason that all the sheep hear his voice? Yes, it does. All sheep hear the voice of Jesus. Beware of the person who constantly positions themselves as someone unique or special in hearing God's voice for you and for your life. Beware. Watch out for the person who positions themselves as someone unique or special in hearing God's voice for you and for your life. I was meeting with someone not too long ago, and if they said this once to me, they said it to me 10 times. I hear the voice of God. God speaks to me. And, and, and the intensity, the repetition, the consistency of it, the context of where this person was saying this, all implied to me, I hear the voice of God. God speaks to me. He doesn't speak to you. When a person says that and implies that, watch out. Statements like that generally come from a place of spiritual pride and it has the potential of being highly manipulative and controlling and it is just flat out unbiblical. Jesus said in his word that his sheep know him, they hear his voice, and they follow him. Don't ever, ever become dependent on other people to hear God's voice for you. 
Now, other believers can hear and do hear God's voice in regards to other people. Okay, but it'll usually be a confirmation of something God has already spoken or revealed to you. It's what we call a confirmation of God's word. I have that happen all the time. Someone will come up and say, you know, I just really feel like, you know, uh, uh, not too long ago, Dan kind of came up to me and said, you know, I just really feel like the spirit of the Lord showed me something about you. And he shared it with me. And, you know, he, he, he was very, very humble in how he presented that to me. You know, kind of just said, you know, you just, you just pray about that. You know, see what God wants to do with that. And it was just kind of a confirmation of some things that God was already showing me. And he kind of just used Dan as a confirmation that, yeah, that, that was me speaking to you. God was saying, that was me speaking to you. And I just confirmed it through that brother. So, again, there are times where God will use someone. He'll speak to someone concerning you, but it's usually always a confirmation of something that God's already saying to you or God's revealed to you. You should never act upon something another believer claims God has spoken to them about you without taking that issue to serious prayer before the Lord. So when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, the shepherd over your life, you can expect, it's guaranteed that you're going to know him, you're going to hear him, and that you're going to be able to follow him. And when we do that, what you're going to find is the worries, the anxieties, the stresses in your life are just going to begin to dissipate. All the worry that you're worrying about, whatever it may be, the root behind all your worry is a fear you're not in control. And you're not. We think we are. We think we're in a control of a lot. But the reality is we're not in control of, of uh, mostly none of what we're dealing with. Worry is always an attempt to try to control the uncontrollable. Worry is assuming responsibility God never meant for you to have. It's, it's carrying a burden God never called you to bear. Whenever you try to control the uncontrollable, whether that's the weather, economy, other people, environment, you're going to worry. And worry, it should kind of be a warning light. Whenever you start to worry, you know, just like that light on your car goes off, warning you, you know, that the oil's getting low, warning you the gas is about to run out. You need to pay attention to that signal, that warning, because you're trying to control too much. And that is the root behind all worry. So every time you start to worry, you're trying to control something you can't control. You shouldn't be trying to control in the first place. And the problem is, is most people worry about the future rather than preparing for it. So again, it's who's in control of your life. Again, God gives us the option. Either you can be in control of it or you can allow him to be in control of your life. But it can't be both. It won't be both. It'll be one or the other. God doesn't co-pilot. Because what happens is you crash and then blame him for it. God is not going to force it on you. You just have to willingly accept it. Surrender yourself to it. So either you be in control or you let him be in control. And he made you. 
He knows what you need better than you yourself know what you need. And he is the only one who has the power and the ability, the timing to bring all of that to pass. But he still gives you the option. If you want to be in control, be in control. If you are in control of your life, you need to understand it is your attempt at playing God. Playing God is the root of all worry. And every time you're trying to play God or take the position of God, you're eventually going to start worrying. Do you know one of the differences between you and God is God never thinks he's you? Ever thought about that? God never thinks he's you. When you're trying to control things and make them work, and you're trying to force yourself to try to control things that are out of your control, then inside there should just be this warning light, this little voice. It's, it's the voice of God. And he'll say, who are you kidding? Look at your past where you've tried to be in control. Where has it gotten you? If you're running your own life without God's direction, again, you ought to be worried. You have a lot to be worried about. Because most of the things in life, if you haven't figured this out yet, you will in very short order. You can't control much of anything. But if God is running your life, he's the Lord of your life, he's the shepherd of your life, he controls all things. He's always in control. Second thing, and I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll end with this, is the second way that we can kind of respond is, is just begin praying about everything. Pray about the stuff you worry about, okay? Just talk to God. And it, it's just interesting how God will, will create these needs, these challenges, these stresses, these anxieties in our life. And, and then he'll position himself with the answer. And he does that because he's trying to draw us into a relationship. So when I have a worry, a problem, a stress, or an anxiety, and, and I just come to God with that, what it is, is, is it's entering into that very relationship, that dialogue that he desires with us. Now, he may not be the author of those problems, those issues, those stresses, those worries, those anxieties, but he can certainly use those to draw you into that relationship where you just kind of begin to talk to him about those things that are happening in life. And you're listening for his guidance. You're listening for his word. You're listening for his response to those. And then you just begin to walk that out. Maybe you're sitting there saying, I don't, I don't have time to pray. Do you have time to worry? And if you have time to worry, I assure you, you have time to pray. Prayer gets us in touch with God, and God is the only one who can change it. Whenever I'm worried, we again have two options. We can panic or we can pray. Philippians 4.6 4, 6 says this, don't worry about anything. Now, anything means anything. It means everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Everything. Tell God 
your needs. What I love about the Bible is the Bible has a lot of don'ts, but oftentimes when there's a don't, they usually follow it up with a do. Don't do this, otherwise that wouldn't be very helpful, right? Just, you know, stop it. Okay, well, oftentimes I, I need to know what to do. If I'm going to stop this, I need to know what to do. So, so he, he says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. So I love that. Don't, but do, right? So he gives you the, both the problem and the solution. He says, if you will do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Folks, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and stand here together this morning. Appreciate you being so attentive this morning. So again, we're, we're pretty learned creatures when it comes to worry. For a lot of us, it comes very, very natural. And I know for a lot of you that you've got a lot of things in life that, that you know, you are worried about. And I just want you to know that whatever that is this morning, that God has a response to that. So I, I want to just uh, invite you this morning just to allow those things that are causing a lot of worry, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety uh, in, your, in your life uh, this morning. I, I just want you to allow those to come to the surface. Allow God to bring those uh, just to your heart, to your mind this morning. And, and this is one of the ways that God brings correction. It's one of the ways that he disciplines us. He's not harsh. He's not condemning at all. If you're feeling a harshness or a condemnation right now, that, that's the enemy. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I am gentle. So Father, this morning we just, we bring to you those things that really are causing a great deal of worry, angst, frustration, anxiety, stress in our lives this morning. And Father, in this moment, we just recognize that you are God and we are not. That God, we are limited, but you are infinite. That we can do nothing apart from you, but with you, everything is possible. So Father, this morning we just invite you, we ask that you would come and just shepherd us, lead us, guide us, protect us, discipline us in those areas of our lives where we have allowed worry to become dominant. That Lord, there would just come a giving of that, that we would cast our burden those, those things that we're worrying about, those are burdens. And your word says that if we'll cast our burden upon the Lord, that you will sustain us. So we come this morning and we take one or we take all of those worries and we just cast them upon you. And we ask God that in their place, God, that you would just give us a peace, a confidence, 
that you are in control, that you are committed to providing and to taking care of those areas that we're worried about. For those that are worried about relationships, Father, that we would just bring those people to you. The Father, we lift them up to you. God, we ask, Lord, that you would be at work in their lives, bringing about the things, God, your plans and purposes for their lives, God, where we have struggled and we're striving to, to try to force things. That, God, this morning we just give them to you. And, Father, we ask, Lord, that you would just go to them as that good, great, gentle shepherd. And that, God, you would begin to lead and to guide them. Father, we pray for finances. We pray for relationships. Whatever it is this morning, God, that we just give that to you. We surrender that to you this morning. We cast that upon you. We just thank you that you are the good and the great shepherd. I thank you, Father, this morning that every sheep knows you, hears your voice, and follows you. We thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.